0: Let's pray this morning as we get into these readings. God of promises, help us to lay claim to those to have the patience we need, um, to know that you are here and working in and amongst our lives. Be with us this morning as we attend to these stories and try to see where we might fit. We ask your grace and mercy on us in our listening and in our hearing amen and amen. If you read this first passage about um, Abraham and Sarah, you do come to the conclusion that God in the Old Testament, in Genesis, in these stories, is a God of surprises, a God of the unexpected. That's the entire message, I think, of these stories of ancient old Abraham and Sarah at What they thought was the end of their lives suddenly being disrupted with these visitors and these visitations and all these things that happen. Um, If you've spent any time with God over your lifetime, you will know that God indeed is a God of surprises. And Abraham and Sarah knew this all too well. Having arrived in their old age, they were summoned by God to a new start. Can you imagine that? Reaching the ripe old age of 75... And suddenly realizing that your story had not even begun. That something was ahead of you in the next phase of your life which would dwarf everything that had come before it. And so Abraham at the age of 75 and Sarah probably about 10 years younger are called by a God whose name is Yahweh. I am that I am. And called to leave their comfortable life in Haran where they had set up camp. And to give up things like predictability and easing into the third third of their lives and everything that was predictable being replaced by uncertainty and risk. And for the next 25 years, they pursued this dream of faith that God called them to, waiting on a promise that they might become parents of a great nation. Perhaps this might be achieved through their nephew, Lot, but of course that didn't work out. And when all seemed improbable, they hatched a scheme using their slave girl, Hagar. And Abraham had a son called Ishmael when he was about 86 years old. And of course that didn't work out either. And so now in our story this morning, we join Abraham while he is resting his 100-year-old self under these oak trees near his home, when suddenly these visitors arrive and he runs to meet them. And the story tells us that in classic Middle Eastern lore, he lavishes his visitors with the absolute best hospitality he can muster. Choice flour to make cakes, fatted calf for the meal, No expense is spared because he recognizes these visitors, not just ordinary people on the road, but as messengers of God. And then one of these visitors turns out to be the Lord, which is in itself amazing, in an entirely different sermon. But of course the Lord tells Abraham once again that Sarah will have a son and she can hardly contain her disbelief, and in some senses, scorn. Imagine being told, my God, that you were going to have a child when you thought you were done with that." And of course, the next year she does have a son, whom she calls Isaac." And in the original language, the words that are chosen for his name means, "He laughs. He laughs." And so through the story of faith, the laughter of scorn suddenly is transformed into the laughter of disbelief. This morning I want to tell you that faith in some aspect is holding on to the promises of God even when you have no reason to. Faith is holding on to the promises of God even when you have no reason to and when there's no evidence around at all. laughter. I remember the uncomfortability of certain types of laughter. When I was living in Japan working at an English-speaking church, my colleague was from South Africa, and he was twice my age. He was at the end of his career. And I remember one time, um, he had this habit. Uh, of any time there was an uncomfortable thing happening in church, any time there was a crisis, he would often respond by simply breaking into uncontrollable laughter, which flummoxed everybody around him. It made us all scratch our heads thinking, what is going on here? And one time in particular, we were discussing a particularly distressing matter, one which had me awake at night, losing sleep. And the next day I came in to discuss this with him because I just couldn't figure out what to do, what we should do, what the church should do, and only to find out that that issue had suddenly resolved itself. It had disappeared. It no longer was an issue or a matter that we needed to worry about. And of course, as I was trying to figure out what had happened, to do a proper postmortem on what had occurred and, and to figure it out and to, to break it into pieces so that I could learn from it and understand. I remember that his response was just uncontrollable laughter. And I was so angry. <laughs> How dare he laugh at such a serious matter? But it turns out this is actually quite a very African thing. In 2011, I went on a tour of South Africa and we were. Um, in Johannesburg and in Cape Town and we went into the townships where we were visiting social care projects that the churches had set up. And I remember one conversation in particular with one of the older ladies, a Gogo, grandmother, and her speaking about the fact that we had just come from the apartheid museum and we as Americans we were trying to understand what it was like um, to so recently in history live under the yoke of apartheid. And I remember her astonishment as she broke into laughter and she said, do you realize that there was a day when it was illegal for you and me to be sitting around this table having dinner? And then there was a day a few weeks later when all of that disappeared? She said, do you understand how strange that is? There was a day when Nelson Mandela was in a prison, and then a few years later, he was elected the president of our country. She was astonished. And when I asked her, and what do you make of that? She once again broke into laughter. She said, well, isn't that the way God works? He's always up to something. The trouble is we can almost never figure it out. It's this laughter of astonishment this idea of recognizing that God is the God of surprises, that God is the God of the unexpected. My point here is that God is still a God of surprises. And God's promises are still sure to us. But they often come to pass in the most unexpected ways. And if all of this story about childbearing late in life is unbelievable thousands of years ago, how much harder is it now? William Pollard is a physician and um, a physicist, and he also became an Episcopal priest, an Anglican priest in the States. And he once wrote a book saying that modern science had in some ways imprisoned us in thought patterns of space and time and matter, which function in accordance with mathematically understandable and predictable precision, but with no place for the transcendent or the supernatural. He said, because of the statistical character of scientific laws, the best that can be done through science is to predict the most probable course of events. But divine providence, in its biblical sense, manifests itself chiefly in those crucial turning points at which history takes the most improbable turn this theme of the unexpected God working in unexpected ways is the story of the Bible itself. Remember, the murderer on the run who's keeping his father-in-law's sheep, and God appears in a flaming bush and declares, I have observed the affliction of my people. I have heard their cries on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come to deliver them. And the stammering Moses who went reluctantly to the Egyptian Pharaoh and demanded that the Hebrew slaves be set free. And God, through Moses delivering them against insurmountable odds, led them through the Red Sea and across the wilderness into the unexpected land flowing with milk and honey and forged them into a new and improbable nation. And then when the nation found itself in Babylonian captivity, cut off from their homeland and presumably their god, the god of the unexpected shows up in Babylon, in exile, in an unlikely Persian king named Cyrus, who decreed that the captives could go home. And then there's the, t- the unexpected, time-altering, history-defining, unexpected transitional event. In the silence of a dark night in the remote corner of the world, God shows up in a cattle stall in a vulnerable little baby born of an unmarried teenage peasant girl among the homeless. And this incarnate God went along the lakeside as a carpenter turned preacher and announced the incredible news. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so he calls fishermen and laborers and tax collectors and ordinary folk to form a new community in which the unexpected presence and power of God will be manifest. The religious, political, and economic leaders who were threatened by this unlimited love, this courage, and this goodness, predictably put Jesus to death on a cross. But the God of the unpredictable did the most astonishing, unexpected, uncontrollable, and unmanageable act. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And let loose on the world, the firstborn of a new creation. And then as we read a few weeks ago, on the day of Pentecost, diverse peoples from across the world gathered. And this unpredictable God of the unexpected showed up in tongues of fire and newness of life. And the church was born to be a steward of God's promises and a context of unexpected acts of divine grace and power. And now, today... The church is the community to which God has entrusted this power of the unexpected. We, you and I, are called to be stewards of this power, of the unexpected, what we might call faith. And this, of course, relates to our mission, our reason for being. We know that even the ways in which we experience the unrelenting surprise of God's presence and grace. It's provisional. It's a foretaste. It's imperfect. There's more to it than we can even see, know, or imagine. And sometimes, the holiest response to God's unexpected movement in our lives is one of the laughter of disbelief. Now, there's a world out there, outside these doors, that is suffering and does not have much reason to laugh. There's a world out there seemingly imprisoned by their love of rationality. But this love can be a bit of a prison. Some have been accustomed to their barrenness, like Abraham and Sarah. And others are young and idealistic, but have become anxious about their future as they grow old into a world they're not sure will be able to sustain them. And into these experiences, into these emotions, church is called to bear witness. You and I are called to be people of faith, to laugh out loud in disbelief and point our finger at the coincidences and moments of serendipity and laugh because we know that as people of faith, those moments just may be one more occasion of the God of surprises showing up in completely unexpected ways. The harvest is plentiful, but the labor, the laborers are few, Jesus told his disciples. As we leave this place this morning, we take on the mantle of being people of faith. People who recognize the movement and the fingerprints of the unexpected God in our lives and bear witness to the idea that God is still at work, still speaking still working, still moving in unexpected ways. Thanks be to God. Amen.